The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mark J. Snyder, who's president of the Mark J. Snyder Financial Services Company based in Medford, New York. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you. I appreciate it. Let's just start with a little bit of background of uh, how you got to to where you are and and a little bit about the firm that you run these days. Sure. Um, See, I started as a life insurance agent in 1971. Uh, Did that for pretty much 10 years, not really happy about it, not quite knowing what I'm going to do with myself. And so the early 80s, I transitioned over to um, the infancy of financial planning. I got my certification, chartered financial consultant, um, and started doing financial plans for people. Um, In the, I guess, the early 90s, I transitioned from uh, commission-based, because typically you have to make money somehow, either charge a fee or or make a commission. Uh, We transitioned from commission-based to fee-based. So right now, my firm oversees approximately 200 million of clients' assets on a fee-based uh, platform. For people who may not be familiar, what is the difference between a fee-based financial planner and a commission? And there's also fee plus commission. Explain the difference between the three and, and sure, how they sure. might be fee, might fee treat plus a client. Or fee or, or, okay. Um, typically, when you're working with a someone who's in an insurance agency or a stock brokerage firm, in order for them to make compensation, they have to charge you a commission, whether it's a commission on a life insurance contract or commission from selling you mutual fund or, or individual stocks, um, they make a commission. If you're working with a, uh, a registered investment advisory firm, such as ours, <clears throat> we charge you a fee for analysis, um, and then we charge you a fee to actually manage your assets, uh, a fee based upon the assets on the management that we're managing. And the fees typically run around around 1% or so. Um, so those are the two extremes. And you have fee or co- fee and commission. Some people uh, will work on a fee in certain areas, in the planning areas, and then perhaps will make a commission um, when they're putting you in a mutual fund or in um, an annuity, which typically uh, doesn't lend itself to fee-based work, or in a, a REIT, um, Real Estate Investment Trust. Um, we, we are, we don't, we're typically fee-based, although we do take some small commissions on certain products. So what is the difference in the kind of advice that somebody's going to get based on the different compensation structures of the financial advisor? Okay, um, again, um, as a generality, I think someone is much better off with a fee-based advisor where they are paying a fee and they're getting what should be uh, sound advice. Typically, a fee-based advisor has a fiduciary responsibility, and that's a big word, the F word. They have a fiduciary responsibility to do the right job for the client. 
when you're working with a, um, a broker um, who is selling you a product, then they have the, uh, a suitability requirement to make sure that the investment is suitable for you. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's 100% right for you, but that it's suitable uh, within your parameters of your, your income and your assets. So, again, I think someone's much better off working with someone who charges a fee and doesn't have to put you in any particular product to, to make money. Hasn't that changed recently? The financial regulatory bill made broker-dealers fiduciaries as well. Isn't that correct? Um, you know, that's sort of fuzzy. We're not quite sure how that's going to play out. Um, they took, they took um, a lot of the sting out of it, whereas the... Um, a registered rep working in a wirehouse. I do not believe that they have to be fiduciary, but there will be some uh, additional uh, reporting, I believe. Um, for, for somebody to work with yeah. a fee-only planner like you, mm -hmm. uh, what is the minimum amount of assets that people typically need in order to make it worthwhile for both sides? Well, um, again, we're located out here in, in Medford, which is halfway to Montauk, so we're not in New York City metro, so to speak. Our uh, minimum uh, client is 100,000, uh, which is relatively low in the scale of, uh, of a fee-based planner. And by the way, we're not fee-only, we're fee-based. We will take commissions if it, if it calls for that. In other words, uh, real simple, if, if someone comes in, uh, the son of a, of a client, and they have 20 or $30,000 they want to put somewhere, uh, it doesn't lend itself to a fee-based account, so we'll typically put them into C-share mutual funds. Uh, but typically, our minimum for a fee-based account is 100000 uh, So you're saying if you have less than 100000 then a commission-based planner may be a better way to go. I mean, it wouldn't be accepted at your, a place like yours. Yeah, I would tend to agree. Mm -hmm. but, and again, of course, you need to find the, you know, the right person. Yes. So yeah. what, would, what questions would you ask of a financial advisor in, in knowing who the right one is, not only with their credentials, but where the chemistry is right with the, with the client? Well, several things you need to know is, uh, one, how long have they been in business? How long are they doing this? You don't want someone who just got into the business six months ago. Um, what's their educational background? Uh, what, if any, professional designations do they have? Um, and have they ever been cited? Um, well, that's a better word. Uh, have they ever had an arbitration hearing going against them? Clients typically will complain. Um, and they take you to arbitration, and sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. So it's good to know um, if they've lost an arbitration. Not if someone's complained, because quite frankly, it's virtually impossible to be in business and satisfy everybody. So everyone will have some sort of a complaint. Okay, so there's no arbitration claims against them. You get their credentials. Then how about a little bit on the chemistry side? What are you looking for in a financial advisor? Uh, that's appropriate for the person, what kind of question should you ask them? Well, you, really, you know, chemistry is tough because you have different types of people, different personalities. Um, for instance, I'm, I'm very low-key. When I started out in the insurance business, um, they tried to teach me how to close a sale. I really wasn't good at that. Um, matter of fact, when I sit down with uh, a prospective client now, um, at the end of the conversation, uh, I literally say to them, you know, what you get here, there's, there's no pressure and there's no bull. And um, if you want to work with us, fine. If you don't, fine also. You have to 
get a feel for the person, the personality of the person, and see if it fits with your personality. So other than people like you that are low-key, what are some of the other personalities that people might run into with financial advisors these days? Uh, well, someone can be more aggressive. In other words, saying that this is, and here you're dealing more with a salesperson than a, an independent advisor. In other words, they, they may be selling a specific type of a product. And you just have to be aware of that. Um, typically, you'll find that with insurance-based financial advisors, people who are working for a major insurance company, but their real motivation is to sell insurance. And, and there's a time and a place to buy insurance, but not everybody needs it. Uh, or not everyone might need those, the type of insurance that they're pushing. So you just have to be aware that you're not being pushed uh, into something. Now that you're giving the choices uh, and then decide what to do. You've been at this a long time. Yeah. How, how do you get a sense of where clients are today compared to, say, 10 or 20 years ago as to kind of the attitudes they have coming into your office? Um, okay, this is 2010. So 10 years ago, we started to have the dot-com bubble. Uh, so let's go back 11 years. Okay. <laughs> I remember 11 years ago, uh, clients weren't happy unless you could get them 50% uh, or more performance in 1999 when we had the, uh, the, the dot-coms. Um, what we're finding now is clients are extremely concerned. We went through 08 and the beginning of 09, and, um, and people lost a lot of money. We, we uh, are tactical in our asset allocation in that we make changes as we perceive the need to make changes in a client's portfolio. And um, our clients typically were down 18 to 22% in 08 versus the almost 40% that the S&P was down. So they, they didn't get hurt as much. Um, on the other hand, if you read what read the paper, listen to the people on TV, uh, everyone's concerned. Now, we don't think that there's going to be a double dip. We think that we're in a slow, you know, recovery. Um, but not everybody thinks that way. So we are, uh, at the moment, invested more conservatively than we were 10 or 20 years ago. So you're not kind of contrary to your clients? I mean, when they were... Wanting their 50% returns in 1999, gung ho to invest in stocks. You were going along with it, and now you're going along with them, being more conservative. Or do you kind of lean against them a little bit? Uh, we lean against them when we feel that they're not right. In other words, they're demanding 50% uh, back then, and I didn't go with it. I mean, we didn't go heavy into tech because we just was concerned about it. Um, they wanted 50%, and quite frankly, if they demanded 50%, you know, we told them we're not going to be able to get it for them because there's no way to guarantee that. And we actually, that's a word I'm not allowed to use, guarantee. Um, but again, we're not going to be heavily allocated in any one particular area, and certainly we were not in the tech bubble. We, um, in 08, we pulled back on our equity exposure significantly, and we're heavy into uh, government bonds. And only um, in the summer, early summer of 09, we started tiptoeing back into equities. When I say back, we weren't out completely, but we were down from our normal 60 to 80 percent down to more like 30 to 40 percent. So we started going back in in 09, and then um, this April we went uh, a little bit more back in. 
So whereas in the old, good old days, we might have been 60 to 80% in equities, depending upon the client's uh, risk propensity, now we're 40 to 60%, I would say. So is that even hard for some clients? They want to be out of stocks altogether? I have a few. Uh, and then we're into bonds. Um, tax-free municipal bonds have been doing wonderfully um, last year and this year. So now, last year phenomenal, people, this year doing nicely. But are people making a mistake by putting some or all, you know, most of their, if not all of their money, into bonds uh, at these current low rates? Um, the okay, you have bonds and you have bonds. Okay, if you look at government bonds. Long-term government bonds, I would say that's an absolute disaster waiting to happen. Because as you are aware, when, as interest rates go up, which we know they will, um, we just don't know when, when rates go up, long-term government bonds will get, will get hurt. Um, on the other hand, we're heavily into floating rate funds and high-yield bonds, which are doing nicely. Now... Will they do what equities do in general? Maybe. Um, there was one particular tax-free bond fund that we're very happy. I have a lot of clients. It, it, it's up 11% year-to-date. That's not, that's not bad. Indeed. <laughs> okay. We're going to yeah. take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mark Snyder, president of Mark J. Snyder Financial Services based in Medford, New York. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for The Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011, on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800-707-1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay because spaces are limited. 
Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mark Snyder, our president of Mark J. Snyder Financial Services Company, based in Medford, New York. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Thank you. Like I'm enjoying little, this. I'd like to talk a little bit about retirement and retirement planning. Uh, people are living longer today. Uh, what are you seeing of the clients coming in? Are they prepared uh, for retirement or, or are they not? And what do you do for them if they're not really that well prepared? Now they're, they're, it really depends. Um, <coughs> excuse me. It's, it would be nice if they would come in when they're in their 40s and saying, I'd like to prepare for retirement, as opposed to coming in when they're 60 years old and saying, well, I'm thinking of retiring in two years, um, which is better than one coming in and saying, listen, I'm retiring next month, can you help me? So in answer to your question, most of the new clients coming in thinking about retirement are really too close to retirement. So we look at the situation and we advise them. Now, um, because of what's happening in the economy, um, we're finding that there are quite a few clients who work for the state, whether it's in a, uh, whether they're a teacher or they're working in the police department or whatever, that um, they have this uh, buyout option. And that seems to be working fine with them. Um, when I say working fine, it gives them extras, which is encouraging them to retire. But in general, over the last several years, we're finding that uh, people just are not thinking, well, we don't know if they're thinking about it or not, but not coming in until it's you know, pretty close to when they're ready to retire. What and, can you um, do for them? And if that's they, a real problem. If they come in at that stage, even right. say two years before retirement, is there much you can do to help them? Well, we can't help them to accumulate more in that uh, stage other than making sure that they are maxing out their 401k or 403b or whatever they have. <clears throat> other than that, we look at their situation, um, do some analysis and say, okay, you can retire, um, but you may be eating cat food when you're 80 years old, so maybe you should hold off retiring a little bit. Or the situation will look good and we'll say they have enough assets to uh to bring in the income they need. We, we also um, try to analyze the situation and look at their expenses from two categories. You have mandatory expenses and you have discretionary expenses. And mandatory is you have to pay the mortgage, you have to eat, you have to buy clothing, pay your car insurance, etc. versus discretionary expenses being, okay, let's go to the movies, let's go out to dinner, take a vacation. What we try to do is have the mandatory expenses covered by some sort of guaranteed income. 
And guaranteed income can be as simple as their state pension, if they have, um, Social Security, um, a single premium immediate annuity, or laddered bonds. And then what's left, we put into growth mode to cover the discretionary expenses and to cover inflation down the road. And um, it doesn't always work because sometimes they just don't have enough money. What would be a rough rule of thumb as to how much money you need to retire comfortably? Not I'm talking about dollar figure, but like a, you know, how many times your current income or You know, there used to be, they used to say 70%, 80%. But the reality is you can't have a rule of thumb because it really depends upon what your income is and what your expenses are um, and, and what you're going to do with your life. In other words, if you never travel and all of a sudden you want to travel, that adds considerably. So in many cases, we find that, that people need you know, as much as they were earning before. People underestimate the expenses in retirement, you're saying? Yes, that is correct. And they overestimate the income they're going to earn probably as well, right? And they, and they don't factor in the account that, <clears throat> excuse me, with inflation, which we will have, again, it's not much now, but with inflation, your purchasing power decreases over time. And based upon the rule of 72, divide any number into 72, and you'll find out, one, either how, mo- how long it will take for your money to double, or two, how long it will take for your purchasing power to be cut in half. <clears throat> At 3% inflation... 24 years is the key. So in other words, if you retire at 60, 24 years later, your income will only buy half of what it buys in 2010 dollars. So if you were just making it, then then it's not going to work. And that's a 3% inflation. We could have a lot higher than that. Right. Um, uh, on- at 6, 6% inflation, it'll take 12 years for your purchasing power to be cut in half. What are you recommending for people who are retired, who have a certain amount of capital, who are afraid uh, to, to lose it, uh, but are earning almost nothing on treasure bills and money market funds and CDs or 1% or you know, very, very low yields on so-called safe investments, yet right. they don't want to just kind of run right through their capital. What, what do you recommend for people to get some income to live off of? You know, it's interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll answer that in a moment. But if you think about it, if you need to withdraw 4 or 5% from your capital to provide the income you need, you're automatically losing by keeping in the bank now, earning 1%, 2%. So you're automatically going into capital. Um, we like tax-free municipal bonds where you can get a 2 3 4% yield. Of course, the, the higher the yield, the more uh, volatile the bond might be, but it's a lot better position than, than money in the bank, and it's tax-free, which is important. Okay, in addition to municipal bonds, what are some other high-yielding alternatives for people today? Well, what we, uh, high-yield bonds for one. Uh, High-yield bonds have uh, performed beautifully last year. They were up 30, 40% in year-to-date. Some of them are up high single digits to low double digits. Um, The problem with high-yield bonds, though, is if and when we go into a recession, you got to be out of them. So that's something that, I mean, we watch for our clients and we try to anticipate. Um, but the reality is most of our clients' money is in some sort of an asset allocation mix. 
where we will have tax-free municipal bonds, high-yield bonds, floating-rate bank loan funds. Um, we're, we're out, pretty much out of U.S. government because we're concerned about that. Uh, not concerned about the government, but concerned about when interest rates go up, the government bond funds won't do well. Um, and then we also have equities. We, we do have money in the stock market for clients. We think that you have to be there for a period of time. And we also have alternative investments. We have uh, some of our more sophisticated clients in managed futures. And the managed futures fund that we used um, in 2008 was up 32%, which was wonderful. Um, it, it sort of zigs when everything else zags. It, it doesn't beat to the same drummer. Real estate, gold, different alternative investments also help to um, modify the risk of a portfolio. Do you think a lot of people are taking too little risk today with, with rates where they are? Yes, uh, but they want to be able to sleep at night. Not that they're right or wrong, but they have a certain amount of um, comfort level. Um, there's a, a tremendous amount of cash on the sidelines. Earning nothing. <laughs> Earning nothing. It's funny. My mother, uh, I'm helping her out, and she's, we just moved her into, from independent living into assisted living. And she said, Mark, you have to take over my checking account, take over my you know, the bank statement, and I'm starting to take over. And I, and I checked with the bank, and, and she has a savings account of 40-something thousand there. And I asked the bank, well, what interest rate are you getting? Uh, 0.105. Well, that's pretty high these days. Right. <laughs> 0.105, just, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's almost not worth keeping it there. Right. But she's getting free checking, so... Yeah, no, I hear this all the time. Um, what about Social Security? Should people be worried? Uh, I mean, they're going to get it today, but should the baby boomers count on Social Security? Um, okay, I'm one of those funny people, the baby boomer, um, and I strongly believe that the Social Security will be there. Um, the government is not stupid. They will react at a point when they realize they have to, and they will make a change. Now, does that mean that you'll be able to retire at full benefit at age 66? Maybe not. Does that mean that you'll be paying Social Security tax on all of your income above a certain amount? Possibly. Does that mean that you're going to pay full tax on anything you get from Social Security? May I don't know what they're going to do, but they will do something. Yes, Social Security will be there in I mean, some shape or form. I mean, some are saying that it's actually worse than expected because with unemployment high, they're collecting a lot less in revenues than they were right. expecting, and they're paying out more because people are retiring earlier. It's starting to take benefits at 62 instead of later, even though it doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So they're getting hit from both directions, uh, and it's going to make the insolvency of Social Security happen much sooner. Do you agree with that? I, I do agree, but as I said, they will realize that and they will make a change. When they will do it, what they will do, I don't know, but they will change it because they're not going to let Social Security dissipate. Um, AARP won't let them. <laughs> so as far as your planning, you are assuming Social Security is supposed to be there. What percent of people's yeah. income in retirement should Social Security typically be if, if they're doing it right? You know, that's really tough because it really depends upon the um, income that, that people make. So we don't look at it that way. I mean, we... We look at, you know, when we, we try to build a floor of income for clients to provide the income for their mandatory expenses, Social Security absolutely is, is the, 
the base, the key ingredient. Then the defined benefit pension um, and whatever else we put in there that, that is guaranteed or as close to guaranteed as possible. <clears throat> but we absolutely do factor in Social Security. We do believe it'll be there. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this okay. is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mark Snyder, president of the Mark J. Snyder Financial Services Company, a financial planning firm based in Medford, New York. We'll be back after this. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owner Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011 on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800 707 1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay because spaces are limited. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mark Snyder, our president of the Mark J. Snyder Financial Services Company based in Medford, New York. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Thank you. Occasionally you deal with uh, divorced and widowed people. people. What are some things that are important for people in that circumstance to know about? Um, 
Well, let's take the categories um, separately. A widow typically is in a state of flux. Um, most women, what we've seen, all of the ones that come in here, really haven't been uh, that aware of how to take care of money. Husbands typically took care of it, which is a shame. The women really should get more into it. Um, one of the things that we tell women um, is just really don't make any major decisions for at least six months. Try to get a, a feel for where your life is going. Uh, obviously, we help them to make sure that there's sufficient income to come in to cover the expenses. But any major financial decisions, life decisions, really need to be put off for a while. Um, divorcees, yeah, that's a, a different issue. Um, interestingly enough, I assume that you've heard, the audience has heard, that New York State, I think, was the last state in the union to now pass no-fault divorce, um, which is about time. People used to pretend whatever just to get divorced. Mm. Um, uh, 1981, New York State passed the Equitable Di Distribution Divorce Law, which really said that divorce, the assets should be divided equitably. And in and, and the mid-'80s, I had the largest practice on Long Island preparing pension valuations for matrimonial attorneys um, to analyze what the pensions are worth in the divorce uh, settlement. And... Um, Many of the people didn't realize that the government pension, you could put a present value on it. In other words, uh, whether it's government or, I was going to say Grumman, Grumman back in those days, or around lighting. Um, if you have a promise of two, three, five thousand a month for life at age 65, we could figure out now that you're age 48, what's that worth in terms of present value? And that's important in, um, in the divorce process and figuring out what the total assets are. Do a lot of people go into divorce not realizing the financial implications of it? Absolutely. So what are some of the financial implications they may not realize? Well, one thing is the pension. I mean, um, also, you know, I don't, I don't get them early enough, but quite frankly, if the people are in agreement, it's so much better to um, go to a mediator and, and work it out with a mediator as opposed to, you know, the attorneys battling it out. And the attorneys, yeah, you know, they have their place, obviously they work, but some of them may be a little bit too aggressive in trying to um, do what they have to do, so to speak. Obviously their goal is to protect their client, um, but somehow uh, we see that in some overprotection at times. Um, once the divorce is settled, <clears throat> somewhat similar to the widowed situation. You know, in other words, life, life has changed. Um, one of the, spouse, the, the woman typically is in the home, um, and she got the home as part of the divorce settlement. But the question is, does she have sufficient income to support the home? We have to look at that and try to help to arrange it if possible. Um, she may be getting a distribution from the husband's pension, but it may not come for another 10 or 15 years. That may be part of her assets, but it's not going to help her now. So People don't think about these things. Yeah, very good. Okay, so another area uh, I thought I'd talk about is mutual funds. Uh, the mm -hmm. way you manage your money 
that you have on your assets is with mutual funds. Yeah, we use primarily mutual funds. So how do you pick, of all the thousands of mutual funds out there, which ones you're going to put money in? <laughs> okay. Um, that's an easy one. I have an MBA on staff, and he does it for me. Um, but reality is, you know, we have certain parameters. We look for funds that have a good track record in their categories. Uh, we look at the expense ratio to make sure that they're not charging too much, because all mutual funds have uh, a certain amount of uh, expenses that they have. Um, being that we're a fee-based firm, it doesn't matter whether it's a fund that has a sales charge or not, or it's a pure no-load, no because all the firms waive the sales charge when it goes into a registered investment advisor's account. Um, so we, um, we prescribe to Morningstar and use their software. And Morningstar looked at the mutual fund universe in terms of uh, capitalization, large cap, mid cap, small cap, value, growth, et cetera. Um, and we used to do that, and we don't do that as much anymore. We more look for funds that can do anything and go anywhere. I wish Peter Lynch was still managing the Fidelity Magellan Fund, because that was the, the best one around in its day. Uh, he was a manager who could just figure out what to buy that makes money. And that's critical, and that's what we need for clients. We need to buy the asset, the, work with the managers who can make the money for them. So do you have um, certain families that you like, or you, you skip around to different mutual funds? How does it work? No, we, uh, we don't. Uh, go with any particular mutual fund family. We look at the funds that are doing what we want to do in their categories, and I don't care what the family is because it doesn't matter. Um, again, because we're fee-based, we can buy it today and sell it in two months without any cost, a minor trading cost, and go into something else. Typically, if you're commission-based, uh, then it's more important to look at a fund family because if you paid if the clients now paid a sales charge to get into the XYZ fund family, well, if, if that starts to underperform or you're not happy with it or the manager leaves or whatever, um, to sell out and move into something else and pay another sales charge doesn't make sense. You, you then uh, are, are double dipping, so to speak. So there it's more important to look at a fund family. And then again, you have the different sales charges. You have the A shares, the B shares, the C shares. Do you want me to get into those? No, I think people understand that pretty well. Okay, fine. Why don't you just give us a name or two of some of the funds that you, you are happy with and have worked well in the long term, say in the growth category? Well, I like First Eagle Global. Uh, Jean-Marie Evelard is sort of running that. They, they brought him out of retirement, and then he's trying to go back to retirement. It's, it's a fund that it's a great fund. Mm -hmm. BlackRock Global Allocation, um, Ivy Asset Strategy, um, Mutual Discovery, Mutual Global Discovery, four off the top of my head that that are funds that do anything type funds and they've got a great track record. And how about in the bond area? Um, in terms of tax-free uh, Oppenheimer Rochester Fund, got really hurt in 08, came back unbelievably well last year, doing very nicely now. Um, Nuveen, high-yield uh, high muni, I like. Um, so these are more open-end funds than closed-end funds, is that right? These are open-end, yes. Um, do you ever do closed-end funds as well? No, we haven't been doing them. Is there a reason you like open versus closed? 
haven't really dug into the clothes. We're starting to do some ETFs. Um, we have a tactical account with a sub-advisor, and uh, we're doing some ETFs there. Uh, with a little bit more trading, and we're deciding whether that is actually working or not. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, right, another area that you were involved in is uh, real estate investment trusts, particularly non-traded, kind of illiquid right. REITs. What, why do you like illiquid REITs as opposed to publicly traded REITs? Well, the publicly traded REITs, they're a stock, and they're uh, volatile as a stock. The, the non-traded REITs um, <laughs> give you the illusion that they keep the $10 a share. You buy them at $10 a share, and they stay at $10 a share forever, almost. Um, they're not really worth $10 a share, but it, it levels out the portfolio. And we started doing a bit of those um, in last year, actually, because... We think that with all the money that the government has uh, been putting into the economy, that inflation will start to creep up its ugly head in a few years, certainly not this year or next year, but, and that will uh, do well for real estate. Also, these real estate investment trusts are now, or for the last two years, have been buying assets on the cheap. They're buying them a lot cheaper than they had been. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, then uh, they will appreciate and clients will make a profit on it. Of course, we have to be aware of the costs involved with these REITs, uh, and some of them are, are more expensive than we like. We don't use those. What, what kind of REITs, uh, the office buildings or apartments or shopping centers, what kind of REITs do you like? Um, we like a, a whole variety of them. There's one that we use that is just in uh, strip shopping centers with a, with a tenant. They have a, a Kohl's or a CVS or a Walgreens as a major tenant. They've got a good track record on several of them. There's uh, one out in Denver that does um, industrial warehouses, one from Chicago that diversifies into apartments, into office buildings, et cetera. Um, and then uh, one in Atlanta that just buys Class A office buildings. And there are a variety of, of them. And we diversify, similar to diversifying clients in mutual funds, if we're going to put a client in these REITs, I'll put them in three or four different ones. And so what kind of yields? What kind of yields are these REITs paying these days? They're paying 6 to 7%, uh, which I think is damn nice in this environment. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you, they're, they're anticipating, they're expecting, <clears throat> hopefully so, that their total return will be in the low double digits when they go to, um, uh, to liquidate them or sell the properties. So at a certain point, they do have a life to them and they will liquidate. Correct. And so you like the the prospects for, it's pretty much commercial real estate you're involved in here. Yeah. You think because they're buying it cheap that this is a good good time to get into that. That's correct. Because a lot of people talk about a coming bust in commercial real estate. That doesn't apparently bother you. I don't see, you know, from what I've been reading, I just don't see that happening. Okay, very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Mark Snyder, uh, who is the president of Mark J. Snyder Financial Services Company based in Medford, New York. We'll be back. After this. Okay. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
Hi, this is Jordan Goodman, host of The Money Answer Show. I cordially invite you to join me and some of my favorite investing experts for the Money Answers Investing Cruise from February 12th through February 19th, 2011 on board Holland America's luxurious MS Eurodam. In this volatile investing environment, good advice is more important than ever, and this exclusive Caribbean cruise offers not only fun, but also a full week of highly informative events with me and other top investing experts like Ray Lucia and Charles Payne from Fox News Network. During seminars, panel discussions, and Q&As, at cocktail parties and at dinners, we will discuss current market conditions and the best places for your investment dollars. Meanwhile, luxuriate in the amenities of Holland America's newest ship and visit some of the best ports for shopping, sightseeing, and sunning. For more information, go to www.moneyanswerscruise.com or call 800-707-1634. That's 800-707-1634. And don't delay because spaces are limited. It's all Arizona, all over the world. If you're a local Arizona high school sports fan or if you're a transplanted fan somewhere else in the world, have we got a show for you. The first Internet sports radio talk show focusing solely on high school sports is The Coach's Corner with Scott Lovely. Tune in to talk about your favorite teams, players, or coaches. It's 100% Arizona high school sports coverage and a little bit more. Tune in Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern to the Voice America Sports Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Mark J. Snyder, president of Mark J. Snyder Financial Services Company, based in Medford, New York. Welcome back to the show, Mark. Thank you. And give them your uh, website and how to find you. Um, sure. Um, my website is www.markjsnyder.com. M-A-R-K, middle initial J, S-N-Y-D-E-R.com. Markjsnyder.com. And your um, phone, give phone, me phone number is 631-631. Yeah. Um, actually, I have an 800 number, which I really don't use, but 800-543-5283. Very good. Okay, terrific. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about taxes here. Uh, we've got uh, the Bush tax cuts expiring January 1st, if nothing changes. Uh, right. You know what I can't believe? I can't believe that the government let the estate tax law just go. I mean, where there's no estate tax in this year. It's a good year to die, I guess, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Will there be a lot of euthanasia in December? <clears throat> um, it's, just, it's just amazing that, that the politicians let that happen. So, okay, so you, you're dealt with an uncertain environment right now. What would yes. you expect and how can clients deal with the current uncertainty as to what's happened to both regular income taxes and estate taxes? Well, I think the estate tax issue is um, uh, more critical, uh, especially if you're older and sick, um, because if, if they don't make any change, it goes from this year having zero estate tax to next year having a million-dollar exemption and the estate tax starting at 55%, which is absurd. Um, they really 
I mean, we think that they're going to put in an exemption of three and a half to five million, which is reasonable in, in this day and age, um, and then have the tax rate start, I don't know, 40-something percent. But to, to go back to a million and have the tax at 55 percent, you know, here I live on Long Island, the middle of Long Island. If you look at the, a, an average homeowner, the homes here are four to 500,000, used to be more. You have some money in a pension, you have an IRA, you have money in the bank. You're worth over a million dollars. So for simplicity's sake, if you're worth a million one and you pass away, you're going to take 55,000. It just doesn't make sense. So what is your guessing as to what's going to happen? Well, my guess is they will change the tax law and they'll put in some an exemption of, I think, $3.5 million, um, and then tax you at whatever rate they're going to tax you at. And you think that will be done before January 1st? I think so. I think so. So that's what you're I mean, planning they're, on. They're in process of trying to make a change in, in the Bush tax cuts, and that's, that's part of it. And what they do in terms of income tax, whether they're going to um, um, tax just the wealthy or have a cut for everybody. You know, I mean, they, they're talking about it on TV this morning. What do you um, think is the right thing to do? If you were running the show, what do you think is the right policy? You know, that's really tough because you have two issues here. You have the economy, which is hurting. And in order to get the economy out of hurting, tax cuts would be good. On the other hand, the, the deficit is ridiculous. And in order to get the deficit paid off, you need to tax people. So my inclination would be tax cuts to get the economy moving, which will then generate tax revenue. So if I was there, that's what I would do. And tax cuts for everything? Do, do you agree about uh, the top 3% should get a tax cut as well? Because that seems to be where the, the rubber meets the road here. Yeah. Um, you have to look at what they pay in relative to what other people pay. In other words, in terms of absolute dollars. Again, we want to get the economy moving. Let's tax them after the economy is moving. So if nothing changes and the current laws go into effect, which is that all these rates go up dramatically on January 1st, right. how would you advise your clients to change their behavior? Well, I would say we may liquidate some assets this year in order to get the lower capital gains rate. Um, but I'm hoping we don't have to do that. Okay, and how about on dividends? If, if the dividend rate goes up from 15% to as high as 40% or so? Well... The, the problem there is, you know, a dividend is a nice, it's income, and it's nice to get the income. Um, do you, <clears throat> excuse me, do you liquidate your dividend-paying stocks and go for growth stocks to save? I, I don't think so. I don't think you want to let the tax tail wave the dog in that case. If you should be in value-oriented dividend-paying stocks, then just you have to bite the bullet. Do you think it will change investors' behavior overall? in favoring growth stocks more than income stocks and company behavior in the way they pay out dividends? It might change company behavior in terms of the dividends, but will we'll change most investors' behavior? There'll be a percentage that will change, but I don't think you're going to see a, a cross-the-board change, no. 
I don't think I don't think people are as aware of it uh, so, I mean, as they might or so, should so be. The people against these tax changes say that it will affect behavior in a major way that uh, companies won't pay as high dividends and investors will. So well, I, I agree. The companies won't pay as high a dividend. Probably would be the case. Yeah. So they'd hoard more cash, in effect. You're saying. Yes. What What would you do? These companies now have about two trillion dollars in cash. Uh, President Obama has proposed this uh, research and development credit that they can expense right away. What would you propose as ways of getting the economy moving and getting them to invest that cash? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't have a good answer, though. <laughs> Sorry. When, what incentives are there to kind of you, you want the economy to be moving? Well, what what tax incentives? Credits, are there? I mean, tax credits for something. Um, tax credits for hiring people. Uh, we want to get unemployment down. So how about tax credits for hiring people? We, we have that now. I think if you've been unemployed for six months, I think you get a tax credit if they, they hire you. Okay. It hasn't worked all that well. Anyway, it doesn't sound like you have the magic bullet we were looking for. I don't in that respect, no. Sorry about that. All right. Another area I wanted to talk about was financial regulation. We've just had this massive 2,300-page uh, financial regulation bill uh, go through. Um, how is that going to affect uh, – I mean, some people think it's going to make credit tighter, for example, or change the relationship between financial advisors and their clients. How do you see financial regulation affecting people? <clears throat> you know – I haven't seen the dust settle yet in terms of what's going to happen there. I would suspect that things will get tighter. Um, it might be more difficult to do certain types of business. Inter um, loans might become tighter. But again, it, I think it's just too soon to know what's going to happen there. So what's your guess? can't help you on that one either. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've seen these kind of things before, right, where they Everything's too loose, and then they make it too tight, and it kind of has these back and well, forth. Well, that's what's happened now. So I, I remember the 80s. Um, what's the 80s? 70s. No, the 70s. Stagflation. And uh, you used to have these houses that were boarded up. Um, not too dissimilar from what we're seeing now. Interest rates were easy. Then they tightened up. We're having now, they, they've tightened too much. <clears throat> but it, <clears throat> it's a cycle. Everything is a cycle. Yeah. In the real estate market, do you see residential real estate coming back? You said you're, you're pretty positive on commercial real estate. Right. How about residential real estate as an investment, something where you're going to be making money in the future? I think residential real estate will come back slowly. But one of the problems is we need to get the unemployment better. Um, <clears throat> would I buy residential real estate as an investment? No. Would I buy a house if I needed to buy a house? Yes. But um, I think that you're looking at a rate of, you know, I don't even know that we're going to see any increase in value on homes in the near future. That's, because that's of the oversupply. Because of the oversupply and the tight credit, you're saying? Yes. 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 Okay. Very good. All right. We covered an awful lot of ground. Uh, thank you for being my guest. Uh, this is my guest during this uh, show has been... Uh, Mark J. Snyder uh, of uh, Mark J. Snyder Financial Services based in Medford, New York. Uh, his website is markjsnyder.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Mark. Thank you, Jordan. And we'll be back again with you another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next